Hi, everyone, and welcome to Know Your Food with Warty. This is episode 137. For links and more, visit the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 137. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Know Your Food with Warty. I'm Warty in Southwest Oregon, a traditional food blogger at ganalfglins.com and knowyourfoodpodcast.com. I'm glad you're here. This is the podcast where we're all about ditching those poisonous processed foods, breaking free from the conventional food paradigm, and instead embracing whole foods raised, saved, and prepared with traditional methods. It's fun, it's delicious, and it's healthy. You're on your way to looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good. Having fun today shooting this live on Periscope. So for you podcast listeners who are coming later, consider joining me for my uh, live recordings in the future. I record them sometime on Thursday, about a week in advance of this airing on the blog. So if you want to get into that, you can go to periscope.tv slash tradcookschool. Or if you're on the Periscope app, you can look for and follow Trad Cook School and then just watch for your notifications that I'm going live and recording. I'm planning to do this on most Thursdays. Um, so what we're talking about, traditional cooking time-saving tips. As you know, if you've been listening to Know Your Food with Warty for the last four episodes, 133, 134, 135, and 136, we are going over traditional cooking time-saving tips, and this week is no different. Uh, I have five more for you. Thank you for inviting your followers, everyone. If you're with me live, I thank you for doing that, for inviting followers and sharing and for the love. And just save your comments for the end, and I'll address them at the end. Okay, so just to make sure we're all on the same page with traditional cooking, I just like to explain this. Uh, traditional cooking is that slow kind of cooking that our ancestors did, probably your great-great-grandmother did. Um, before processed foods, and foods were more nutritious and digestible, and that had a lot to do with how they were prepared. Of course, back then, we didn't have processed foods, and most of the foods that were sourced were high quality because the animals were not on factory farms, and the soil that produce was grown in was rich with organic life and minerals, uh, so they had higher quality ingredients. Well, we can get access to those now, but we have to seek them out. Back then, Almost everything was high quality, but in addition to that, our great-grandmothers knew how to do sourdough and old-fashioned pickling, cheese making, and um, just a preparation of foods that made it easier to digest and more nutritious. And though this is controversial and you'll find, you know, lots of people with different theories, but the prevalence of modern disease can in my mind, be linked to the change in our food, not only the quality of it, but in the way we, pre we prepare it. So at Traditional Cooking School and this podcast, Know Your Food with Warty, we are about bringing back into mainstream those methods that are not only fun to do for those of us who love cooking, but that make our foods more nutritious and digestible. On the same page now with traditional cooking. And I hope, like me, you all are interested in bringing that back. If you do agree, tap the screen and share some hearts or put a thumbs up and a comment. When you do leave a comment, please include your first name because I can see it better in the comment than I can in your handle. Okay, so I'm going to share five more traditional cooking time-saving tips. Be sure to go back to the previous four episodes for four five, a whole bunch. <laughs> There's been bunches of them. So number one is one word. It's called goulash. At least this is what I called it, or 
I should say what my parents called it when I was growing up. Goulash for us was leftovers. Um, we emptied the fridge of whatever was left over, grains, beans, potatoes, sauces, vegetables, noodles, meats, whatever was in the fridge. And we usually, it's kind of surprising, but usually they all go together really well. And we called it goulash. We would just heat it up in a big pot on the stove and you're putting all those different whole food pre-cooked ingredients together and we called it goulash. And then it comes out and you can top it with chopped onions or olives or shredded cheese or so many things. The family thinks it's a brand new meal. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for joining. So that's why we call it goulash, and that's why it's awesome in a traditional food kitchen or really any whole foods kitchen because the family thinks it's a new meal. You're using up odds and, odds and ends, and ding, 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 you saved a whole bunch of time. This is about traditional cooking time-saving tips, right? So goulash, do it this week sometime. Have a leftover night. Call it goulash. The family will be like, Mom, this is so good. Make this again. And inside you'll be chuckling because you'll be thinking, well, every weekend's going to be a little different, but I'll try. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you love that, Vicki. Okay, so traditional cooking time-saving tip number two are easy instant meals. Thank you for the love, everyone. I want to see if you love this idea too. Or actually, what I want to do is get your feedback on this. So whether you're new to traditional cooking or not, you may have this idea that it takes a lot of time or it's overwhelming. Well, my tip number two here is where I want to just squash that myth, okay? Because even in traditional cooking, you may be thinking, oh, you're doing sourdough bread and multiple rises and making your cheese and it takes three days and I have to soak my rice and start it like yesterday in order to have it today. And so you're thinking, this, everything's taking too long. Well, do you know that even within traditional cooking, we have a wealth of easy, instant meals that we can make, use to bless and nourish our families. Here's the idea. Not all traditional foods have multiple steps or stages. If you're keeping up on your culturing foods, and by that I mean simply like keeping your sourdough starter fed, um, or you know, you've got a plentiful supply of stock in the fridge or freezer, or you have other basics, then you can make all sorts of instant meals. I want, I'm not going to leave you without examples here, okay? And as I say each one, just tap the screen and leave some hearts if you're thinking it's a great idea or if you've done it or um, if you, you're going to do it, okay? So if you have, you can use sourdough starter. I love this. I call them no-weight sourdough recipes because if you are keeping a sourdough starter fed, you know, ideally twice a day, you're feeding it regularly, your sourdough starter can be the basis for no-weight sourdough recipes. You can make crepes, you can make pancakes, you can make waffles, you can make what I call impossible pies that are in my sourdough A to Z ebook. You can make all of those just with sourdough starter. You're not mixing your sourdough with starter with more flour and letting it sour. No, the fed starter itself is soured flour, ready to go. Thank you, Stacy. I appreciate that. So that's why this, this is so beautiful. They're called no-weight sourdough recipes. So you take that sourdough starter. I'm going to give you an example. Make crepes. Crepes are just like easy tortillas. You're not rolling them out. They're thin. They're versatile. They can become desserts or savory dishes. So um, those crepes can be for quesadillas, wraps, burritos, tacos, all kinds of instant easy meals. 
Vicky is saying, I love crepes. So do we. I like to do a batch of them, and it's a great thing to do when you have a lot of sourdough starter and you like maybe you've run out of time and you haven't made bread, but you built up your starter, and so you have the sourdough starter. We use it in a no-weight recipe. Jessica's saying, me too. So I like to make up a whole bunch of crepes, and then we have them for you know easy meals throughout a day um, or more, depending on how long they last. Like I said, quesadillas, wraps, burritos, tacos, you can fry them and make homemade tortilla chips that are really awesome. Thank you, everyone. I'm Welcome to everyone who's joining. Thanks for all the comments and the love. Keep it coming. This is so fun to do the podcast live with you. And just a reminder to those of you who are listening to this podcast later, if you want to get in on the fun, just watch my Periscope channel on Thursday uh, because I'm planning to do this regularly to record my podcast live. Okay, so other no-weight sourdough meals beyond the crepes, impossible pies, pancakes, or waffles. Um, you, pancakes or waffles could be breakfast for dinner, or you could do savory. Like you can even make peanut butter and jelly waffle or pancake sandwiches. You can do cream cheese and sliced cucumbers, but that can be the basis of wonderful, wonderful instant meals. I've mentioned the impossible pies that are in my sourdough ebook and sourdough e-course. And just so you guys know what I'm talking about, do you remember, I do growing up, Bisquick impossible pies. It's that Bisquick baking mix that was white flour and it had leavenings and everything. And they had hundreds of recipes where you could take that and you could make this really quick batter, put it in the oven, and then you get this, what they call an impossible pie. And, you know, sometimes the layers separate. So you have like brownies with a chewy and a bready, or you could do a savory dish. And so it would end up with fillings and then a, a, um, a crust layer on top. Those are impossible pies. Well, you can do the same thing with a sourdough starter. And I have to give credit to my co-teacher in the sourdough e-course, Erin, for coming up with this. She figured out a way to do our sourdough starters the same. You're adding oil and eggs and salt and leavenings, and you're pouring it over whatever you want, sweet or sour, in a cast iron pan and baking it. And you get an impossible pie. We do this a lot. Um, In the fall, if we go hunting for mushrooms, I will make an impossible pie in the morning, and then I'll simply just take it and put it in the truck, and then we're off in the woods looking for mushrooms, and everybody's like, it's time to eat. Okay, and I pull out the cast iron skillet, and I slice it and give everybody a napkin and a piece of the pie. And it's simple things, like I might put ground beef or beans or onions, or it could just be simple vegetables and cheese, but it's the easiest thing ever. Yes, Vicki, it's really, really cool. So traditional cooking, easy, instant meals. And I have some more ideas for you here, too. We're talking uh, traditional cooking, time-saving tips. I've covered one tip already, which is goulash, and now I'm talking about easy, instant meals. So beyond the using your sourdough for no-weight recipes, you could do veggie and meat soups. Those are instant. There's no soaking. You're basically, I mean, if meat isn't cooked, you're browning it or cooking it. Vegetables don't need extra prep. If you have broth around, um, make a quick soup. You can use sprouted flour for baked goods, So you can skip soaking or souring. The beauty of sprouting is that it's like pre-digesting the grain ahead of time. Just like, you know, if you were going to use a sourdough starter and flour and, um, you know, the starter would work on the flour. Well, sprouting is like doing that ahead of time. You sprout your berries or you purchase sprouted flour, but if you sprout your berries, you sprout them, then you dehydrate them, then you grind them into flour. And I usually keep a whole bunch of this on hand. I'll, I'll do my nine tray dehydrator 
and I'll, every tray will be full of um, sprouted berries. And so then when I'm done, I have a really big supply of sprouted berries that I can grind into flour. And then we're doing cookies and muffins and whatever we want to bake instantly. Because whether or not you're new to traditional cooking, you know one of the fundamentals of traditional cooking is preparing your grains for digestion with soaking, sprouting, or sourdough. So if you have sprouted flour, you can skip soaking, you can skip sourdough. Someone was asking in the comments earlier about gluten-free. You can do sourdough gluten-free or not. It just depends on, um, you know, the starter you have or create and what you feed it and you in the recipes. I would suggest that if you are um, interested in gluten-free sourdough, that you start with a gluten-free um, tried-and-true starter method. We do have one in our sourdough ebook. Um, or you could search Google for a boosted brown rice starter where you boost it with water, kefir, or kombucha. And then um, you're baking with it. And so look for gluten-free sourdough recipes to get you going because it, it does act a little bit different. So another couple ideas with this easy instant meals, um, sc scrambled eggs with hash browns. I mean, scrambled eggs, so easy, or any kind of egg. Hash browns, easy. Grate your potatoes and fry. Or if you have baked potatoes already baked, you can grate them and they grate really easily and then you fry in butter or coconut oil. Uh, meatballs and vegetable creamed soups can be easy instant meals. Vegetable cream soups is a matter of browning your vegetables in butter, adding stock, adding more root vegetables, cooking till tender, and then blending. We have a formula at traditionalcookingschool.com for blended soups. So you can search traditionalcookingschool.com blended soups for that easy formula. And then meatballs are great on the side. Or if you want to do like rolled crepes or an impossible pie on the side, um, I mean, I just love it. In fact, people sometimes ask me, how do you keep up with traditional cooking? Well, number, this tip number two is actually my secret because we rely on a lot of easy meals. There's no reason for you to overwhelm yourself with um, doing everything possible with traditional cooking all the time. You're just going to burn yourself out, burn your family out. You're not going to keep up with it. Meals are going to get boring. So rely on these easy instant meals so your family can feel that there's a lot of variety and you can enjoy uh, more what you're doing because you're doing some easier things too. Don't be too hard on yourself. Okay, thank you for the love and hearts, everyone, and for the comments. Keep them coming. And if you like what you're hearing, feel free to swipe right or down to share and invite other people. What we're doing right now is recording the Know Your Food with Wardy podcast, episode 137. Um, and I'll remind you that I'm going to have all of this written out at the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 137. Okay, so now I'm on to tip number three. One of the fundamentals of traditional cooking are the very valuable saturated fats that are in animal foods like vitamins A, D, E, and K, and we often don't get enough of those. So here is a really easy way to get a boost of vitamin A with liver. Liver is one of those foods that you know, it's got, it's pretty high on the ick factor, right? And you know if you've tried to feed it to your family, in large quantities, most family members are like, eh, because the texture and the taste are strong. Well, the texture is different than meat. Vicki is saying, love. Well, great. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, for most people, though, the texture is different than meat, and the flavor and the smell are pretty strong. Liver is unmistakable. So most, <clears throat> most people in our modern society are, pretty, are not, not very big fans of liver. But we need it, right? So here's a way to get a liver boost. You can easily include and disguise pastured liver 
in many meals. And here's the, the tip. And by the way, I got this from uh, my friend Megan from eatbeautiful.net. Um, and she's on Periscope at Meg Eat Beautiful. Be sure to follow her. She's scoping every Wednesday. <clears throat> anyway, you get a big liver. And if you're getting it from a pastured cow, you know it's a huge piece of liver, right? Um, way bigger than from a goat, a lamb, or a sheep. <clears throat> Sorry, a goat or a lamb. Well, lamb, sheep. I mean, they're different. <laughs> sheep is older, lamb is younger. But anyway, a pig. So um, that cow liver can be huge. There's no way anybody's eating it all, unless you're feeding a crowd liver and onions, and they all love it. Uh, that's a nod to you, Vicki. I think you just said you do liver and onions, and you disguise it with onions, which is great. But anyway, take that big liver and cut it into pieces that are going to fit in your food processor and puree it. And then take that puree in ice cubes and freeze it. And um, once it's frozen, pop out the, um, the ice cubes of liver, and each one is about two tablespoons, and then freeze it in Ziploc bags or wrapped up. So then it's in the freezer in these convenient two tablespoon size portions. And now it's ready to add to all kinds of meals for a nutrition boost. And if you add it in small quantities, everybody's going to get it regularly, and they're not going to know it's in there. So meatballs, meatloaf, spaghetti sauce, um, chili, soups, jerky, hamburgers, all kinds of ways to include that liver so nobody, um, <clears throat> for those that object to it. Vicki is asking, is it okay to fry it though? Of course. I mean, if, if you guys love it um, the way it is, of course I'm not going to dissuade you from doing that. This tip is more for... Um, families that do not enjoy liver and don't want to eat it regularly the way you typically hear of it, liver and onions. This is a way to disguise it and eat it regularly to get that good nutrition boost. <clears throat> and my voice is going out. Um, so that was tip number three to get an easy liver boost. Thank you everyone for continuing to um, tap the screen with your hearts. Vicki, thank you. I'm glad that you found that a good tip. Just remember that this is a live Periscope, and so I'm trying to get through the podcast that will be released on the blog later. Um, but if you have questions, I'm going to take those at the end. And I want to say hi to people who are continuing to join us. Thank you so much. This is the Know Your Food with Wardy podcast, and I'm sharing traditional cooking, time-saving tips. Okay, so tip number four. Here is how to have fresh basil out of season. This is not only going to save you time, um, but you're going to be able to enjoy basil year-round. If you have a garden or, you know, you have access to a farmer's market, you know that when basil is in season, we have access to these, you know, just big, huge bunches of basil, right? It's a lot to have at once. So what you're going to do is you're going to take your fresh basil and you're going to put it in the food processor and you're going to add just enough extra virgin olive oil so when you blend it, it makes a paste. Then you take a uh, baking tray and line it with parchment paper and then you take just big spoonfuls of that basil olive oil paste and you drop it just in chunks, kind of like cookie dough, and then you freeze it. And when it's hard, then you can pop all those chunks off the, the tray and put it in a, in a Ziploc bag and then just freeze and it'll save space and freeze them. And then you're going to take that and add it to your dishes. So now you've got these chunks of basil that are frozen, you know, one or two tablespoon size. And you, um, you have now fresh basil for your soups, stews, casseroles, whatever you want to bake, fresh basil flavor, toss it in. Um, maybe it's a quiche, 
maybe it's a tomato soup, but anyway, you got fresh basil out of season and you're saving yourself a ton of time because you're just pulling it out of the freezer. It's already in meal size um, or dish size servings. That was tip number four, how to have fresh basil out of season. Tip number five is very related. It is how to have fresh tomatoes out of season. So whether or not you have a garden, you may have access to a farmer's market or an organic tomato farm where you can buy boxes and boxes of good, um, just juicy, heirloom, beautiful, red, ripe, vine-ripened, beautiful tomatoes. Oh, that's just the best time of year. I would have to say that tomatoes are my favorite food ever. Now, from time to time, I say that about other foods, but tomatoes really are at the top of the list. So when they're in season, there's several ways to preserve them so that you can um, have tomatoes just, <laughs> Vicky's sharing a whole bunch of tomato icons, love that. Um, so there's a couple ways to preserve that beautiful tomato season off-season. Off season. One of them is to take your tomatoes and slice them, lay them out on dehydrator trays, and then just freeze slices, sorry, <clears throat> dry the slices, and then um, keep them airtight, and then you're simply going to soak them in water, pop them in a um, blender container, and blend until you get a sauce or a paste consistency, and then use that in your dishes. I like to actually soak the tomato slices right in the Vitamix blender container, wet container, right in the water for like 20 minutes, and then all I have to do is turn it on. Um, here are some other ways to dry and preserve your tomatoes. So you could dry the slices, like I said, and then when they're dry, you can whiz them in a food processor or blender to a tomato powder. And then you can just use it by the teaspoonful or tablespoonful in your soups or stews to the, to the taste and flavor, you know, strength you want. You could also take that paste and combine it with a little bit of water to reconstitute and Combine it with the amount of water to get it to the paste or sauce consistency you want. Another thing you can do is blend the tomatoes before you dry them to get a tomato puree and spread that on dehydrator trays. And then you're doing like a tomato leather. And that really reconstitutes with water easily. I would have to say that is the least effective in terms of space saving because the tomatoes have so much water content that when you blend it, you just have tons and tons of tomato juice <laughs> to dry. Whereas if you um, slice your tomatoes ahead of time, you kind of well, the drying is more space efficient, but any, any of those ways will work to get you dry tomatoes, dry, fresh dried tomatoes that then you can turn into, um, um, just put in all kinds of dishes in the off season. You've saved yourself a ton of time and you've preserved the season, you know, the seasonal beauty of the tomatoes. I do want to say that you can even skip the drying and you can just freeze. Like right now, I couldn't get to drying some of our cherry tomatoes, so I just, the last two passes through the garden before the garden went to bed, we just, we had these big, we have a big stainless steel bowl, and I had the kids just fill it with all the ripe cherry tomatoes, and I simply put them in gallon-sized bags in the freezer, just whole berry, um, cherry tomatoes. And so they're in the freezer, so when I'm making a tomato soup, I just pop some of those, you know, from the bag into the soup, and then, you know, they, they cook down or you can mash them a little bit. But anyway, um, you just have instant tomato sauce from frozen, fresh, whole tomatoes. Just really, really easy. So Vicki, yes, that is your question. <laughs> Good, I'm glad you were holding on to that. You can freeze because sometimes even drying is a lot of work. And if you have the freezer space, um, 
I just gave you my example of cherry tomatoes, but you can do it with whole Roma tomatoes or brandy wine or whatever. You could cut them up a little bit so they don't take up quite so much space in your freezer bags, but just freeze them fresh and then toss them wherever you need them. And this tip applies to other um, produce. And so you can Google, like, Google certain things, like can you freeze fresh or whatever, and find out how it reconstitutes. Um, but I do know you can do it with peppers. So we do it with um, hot peppers and bell peppers. Um, we do it, like I said, with the basil, blending with olive oil. We do it with the tomatoes. Sev is saying she loves simmering tomatoes down than freezing. Yes, you can do that. That'll save you time in the... Um, save you room in the freezer because you're, you're simmering off all that extra water. Um, and so then you, you don't need as much space to keep them uh, in the freezer. So I am at the end now. So I'm just going to wrap up this podcast for you. This has been Know Your Food with Wardy, episode 137. Do check out the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 137 for all these tips spelled out as well as any links I mentioned. Hi, I'm Wardy, a traditional cooking expert and food blogger at traditionalcookingschool.com. For years, my family struggled with food-related health problems like eczema and food allergies, but we don't anymore. And I'd love to show you that preparing whole foods with traditional methods is easy, delicious, and super good for you too. So just go to traditionalcookingschool.com free, and I'll show you how easily you can do it too. I'll give you five free videos that include my favorite traditional cooking techniques, plus printable at-a-glance fact sheets as a handy reference. So if you're ready to start looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good, then visit traditionalcookingschool.com free today. And now um, I'm going to take Periscope questions. So you guys are live with me. And if you have any questions, just pop them into the comments. Thank you for continuing to share and come in and give hearts. If you haven't yet followed at Trad Cook School, which is my parent scope channel, be sure to follow me so then you'll hear about notifications. Every Wednesday, I do an Ask Wardy show. That's why that hashtag is up there. So you can tweet your questions to at Trad Cook School with the hashtag Ask Wardy. Uh, you can also email me, wardy at askwardy.tv. And as I said, every Thursday, I'm going to be recording my podcast, Know Your Food with Wardy. Okay, so we have a question. Is canning tomatoes okay? Yes, it is. I'm not a huge fan of canning because I th think it takes a lot more work than dehydrating or fermenting. And you also canning, you lose nutrition, where dehydrating preserves nutrition, fermenting increases nutrition. But in the case of certain foods like tomatoes or beans or meats, I think canning is an awesome option. Because tomatoes, we usually cook anyway in the off-season, so why not cook it ahead of time and have a beautiful jar of canned tomatoes, sauce, spaghetti sauce, whole, crushed, diced, why not? So yes, I love canning tomatoes, and I do that uh, quite often. Any other questions? Thank you for the question, Vicki. So glad you're all here. Thank you for joining me for this. Becky, can you bring pasteurized milk back to life by adding a little yogurt? Okay, well, just as a, <laughs> thank you, Sev, I appreciate that. Um, just as a general principle, if you, if the best milk you can get is pasteurized, 
and you want and you're culturing like doing sour cream or yogurt or kefir or whatever whatever you use to culture that pasteurized milk it's not going to bring it back to life technically because there were enzymes and organisms that were lost but you're certainly making it better than it was so i am a huge advocate of culturing milk especially pasteurized milk because you're bringing the nutrition back up. And so then when your family eats it, they're getting probiotics and enzymes and beneficial acids. So I definitely think you should pursue that. Okay, so I'm going to take a couple more questions and then wrap it up. Do you have any questions about traditional cooking time-saving tips since that was the topic of our show today? Okay, Eliz Ham, do you puree the liver raw or cook before freezing in ice cubes? Puree it raw. Great question. <clears throat> Oh, yes, a question that came up earlier was, um, is two tablespoons enough? Because my tip, tip number three, the liver boost, was to add pureed liver in um, ice cube-sized portions to your meals, and that's about two tablespoons. Um, <clears throat> it's time for me to get another drink. Is that enough? If you are tossing a couple tablespoons into meals on a regular basis, like three or four times a week. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm not going to say it's enough because if somebody in your family has cavities or a vitamin D deficiency, you may need to look at supplementation or other things, but certainly on a daily basis for the members of your family to be getting a regular supply of liver, even just a little bit at a time that you've hidden in meals, it's fantastic, so I definitely recommend it. And then you just want to watch. Whatever health issues you have, watch and see if they improve. If they haven't, um, you could do more. And in our dehydrating e-course at traditionalcookingschool.com, one of the lessons is I teach um, you how to dehydrate your liver and whiz it in a food processor or blender and then fill your own capsules, your gel capsules, so then you can take... Um, to block I missed it well anyway catch that later um, so then you can uh, you know you're not actually eating it you're popping the the capsules as a supplement and then you can have more uh, dried liver in your life <laughs> in your in your body Thank you, everyone. Okay, so a couple housekeeping notes as we wrap up. I do want to say for everybody who's joining me live on Periscope that if you haven't yet checked out my free traditional cooking video series, you can go to tradcookschool.com free. I have five videos to introduce you to the fundamentals of traditional cooking to give you a better idea of the things that I teach to help make our foods quality whole foods, more nutritious and digestible. Really important principles. They certainly changed my family's life, reversed food sensitivities, and seasonal allergies and energy levels and more. So check that out if you haven't already. Thank you so much for joining me. Jessica, I was really glad to see you here today. I appreciate that. This has been so fun to start um, doing my podcast live, and I'd love to hear it if you enjoy it. And I'm glad to hear you enjoyed the tips. And come on back next Wednesday for Ask Wardy at 10 a.m., uh, Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, and sometime on Thursday, I will be recording my following week's Know Your Food with Wardy podcast. Once again, follow me if you haven't, add Trad Cook School, and if you want to add a question to next week, it's Ask Wardy hashtag on Twitter. Jessica Shanks, she was doing bone broth with rice and veggie soup. Awesome. Vicki is on her treadmill. Woohoo is right. Good for you. Okay, everyone, thanks for being with me, and I'll talk to you again soon. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope to see you again very soon. Let me tell you what you can do next. 
You can visit the show notes for this episode. Just go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash, and then without a space, type the number of this episode. You'll get links and much more information about what we've been talking about. You can submit questions for future episodes. I love to answer your questions on the air, so go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash questions to submit them. You can stop by traditionalcookingschool.com to get five free traditional cooking videos from me. And finally, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Know Your Food with Warty while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop or laptop, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes right in your browser. And while you're there, please leave a rating or review. I love to read your comments and your feedback makes it much more likely that other people will find this podcast. Thank you so much.